Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. So if you weren't here last week, shame on you, no. If you weren't here last week, we, we began a series uh, called Credo, I, I, which is Latin for I Believe. And so last week what we did was we laid the groundwork for where we're going to be going this summer series. Because remember, last year we did a summer series on the book of Judges, which I thought was pretty fun. And so this year, during Ordinary Time, we're going to be doing a series on the Apostles' Creed. And so we talked about it, why, kind of where it comes from, why it's important, how it links our faith today with the teaching of the apostles, and it provides the ground for Christian unity. And we also talked about what belief means, because the, how does the creed start? It starts off with, I, what? Believe. <laughs> so we talked about what it means to believe. We talked about how faith reaches out and holds on to God and how our faith is not based in ignorance or in it, how it's not a crush, a crutch, but on real tangible things that God has done for us and for our salvation. And so if you've missed this and if you miss any of them in the series, they're all posted on our, uh, our podcast page uh, which you can find on our, our Facebook page, and you can get it on your, your mobile devices as well if you look for the name of the church. So if you miss one, you can always go back and listen to it uh, if you check that out. Next week, we have a guest uh, a guest speaker, a guest pastor will be here, so we won't be doing this topic next week. And then the week after that, we'll be outside for the Peach Festival. So okay, what's that? in three weeks, we'll continue on. Um, today, we're going to talk about what it means to call God Father. Ooh. And so in, in two weeks after that, then we'll get into the next part, the almighty creator of heaven and earth. So today, God as father. But before we talk about God as father, let's talk first about God. The first statement of belief in the creed is, I believe in God. And so when you read the creed, when you confess the creed, you notice its structure is, is structured around three things. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son, and finally, I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? So that means that the creed is structured around the Christian dogma of the Trinity, God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So we ask, who or what is God? And based on who you ask and maybe where you ask, you might get different answers to that question. Some people might say, well, God is the eternal spirit. Some people might say, well, he's the unmoved mover. Some might say he's the ground and source of all being. And it kind of on the surface seems like an easy question. Well, who, what is God? Who is God? Well, God is God, right? It's kind of hard to define God. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in conversation with, with somebody and they, they say, you've asked them if they believe in God and they say, yes, I believe in God. Or they might say, no, I don't believe in God. What is God? Can God be defined? And you kind of say, well, no, God actually can't quite be defined. Many think, though, also that they know or they think that they know who or what God is. The problem with this, brothers and sisters, is when we think we know who or what God is, is sometimes we can create a false God that looks and sounds more like a particular ideology instead of the God revealed to us in Scripture. 
And I think that this is very easily depicted in how God is portrayed in popular media. So if you read comic strips like The Far Side, or if you watch TV shows, God is portrayed, and I just aged myself right there, because The Far Side's not even in print anymore, but check it out. It's still really funny. They have him in Barnes Noble. But if you watch like Family Guy or whatever, shows on TV, God is usually portrayed as an old white man with a really long white beard, and he's wearing a white robe, and he's usually kind of on a throne in heaven. It's a white throne, and this white throne is set on fluffy white clouds. We've all seen that picture of God, right? That is an image of what people think God looks like or a popular idea about what people think Christians believe about God. There, <laughs> one of my favorite depictions of God, and this is purely for humor's sake, there was, there was one uh, a cartoon that, that was an animated series, it's more for grown-ups, where they portrayed God not as an old man with like a long white beard, but as the master control program from the 80s movie Tron. I thought that that was a pretty fascinating depiction of God. And I was like, huh, that's pretty interesting. But that's obviously wrong as well, right? But culture sometimes says to us, this is what you guys believe about God, the old white guy in the sky with a big, long white beard and a white robe. But that's wrong. But just because people may have the wrong idea of God doesn't mean that there isn't a God. So Christians traditionally have defined God, and defined, right, I'm using air quotes, have defined God through negation because we understand that God cannot be defined by anything finite. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, St. Paul says, Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Speaking of God. God is completely beyond us and completely beyond our comprehension and completely and totally unknowable. Here's the paradox, though. But God is knowable. God is not completely beyond us because God condescends to humanity. So God is knowable and approachable and relational because of his self-revelation. St. John says in John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So God is noble. God is approachable and relational. And we see this through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so to summarize a lot of thought about God, I think that this quote from the theologian Thomas Oden is appropriate. He said this, God is the source and end of all things, that which nothing greater can be conceived, uncreated, sufficient, necessary being, infinite, immeasurable, eternal one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is incomparably good, holy, righteous, just, benevolent, loving, gracious, merciful, forbearing, kind, hence eternally blessed, eternally rejoicing, whose holiness is incomparable in beauty." So God is not an old man in the sky, nor is God the natural world. This is another misconception about God. We know that nature shows the beauty of God. And I think it's in the book of Job where God uses the natural world sort of as an, as an apology for his existence. We know, I think even St. Paul says this in Romans, that, that we can see the existence of God through what God has made, through the beauty of nature. Nature is a proof of God's existence. 
and God, and even though all things are in God, that does not mean that the natural world contains God, nor does it mean that God is nature. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And ultimately, if we want to put a finite fact around who or what God is, we know from Scripture through His revelation, God is love. God is love. Since we cannot talk about God in any certainty, how then can we talk about God at all? Because Scripture is our guide. Scripture is one aspect of God's self-revelation, and the other aspect of God's self-revelation is through His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you put a pin in anything about who or what God is, we know that God is love. God is love. So, what does it mean to call God Father? I believe in God the Father. So before we talk about God as Father, we need to make a couple of points here, okay? There's a theologian named Rod, Roger Shin. He notes that every term for God is inadequate, right? Because he says that words are symbols, so you have to be cautious. And another theologian that I like named Michael Bird, he says that all theological language is analogical. In other words, relating to or based on an analogy, Right? So using this criteria of analogy or words as symbols, we know that we can say a few things about God. All right? God <laughs> is not a man. Ladies, that was your chance to say amen. amen. There it is. God is not a man. <laughs> We're probably all very grateful of that. God is not a woman. Man, that was your chance to say Amen. There we go. All right. Let's, and now with this last one, let's all say amen at the same time. God does not have gender or biology. There we go. All right. Good. How did that feel? It felt good. We know that God is not biologically a man or biologically a woman, nor does God have, have, have gender. There's a theologian I really like named Ben Myers. He says that male and female gods, these concepts of male gods and female gods are pagan ideas. Because have you ever read Greek mythology? Or maybe even seen a Disney movie like Hercules or something? Maybe that's your only entrance into Greek mythology? That's totally fine if it is. Has anybody ever read any Greek mythology? Or maybe Norse mythology is really popular right now. There's actually a return to like Odin worship right now, which is kind of fascinating. But has anybody ever read Greek mythology, Norse mythology, any mythology? Yeah, mythology is really interesting if you read it. Because in when you read Greek and Roman mythology and these other mythologies, you read the stories of their gods, and what's the thing that pops into your mind when you read them? Wow, these gods are really like people. They're really like people. Like Zeus, if you read Greek mythology, if he saw a human woman and he was like, she's kind of pretty, I'm going to go down there and uh, make her mine. And he does. And that causes a lot of conflict because then Hera, his wife, finds out about it. And what does Hera do? She kind of gets angry, <laughs> right? So like when Hercules is born, Hera sends a snake to try to kill Hercules because Hercules is the product of Zeus hooking up with a human woman. And Hera, being a wife, is like, that's not cool. You don't do that to me. You know who I am? I'm Hera. And she sends the snake. But Hercules 
And the story kills the snake. So in mythology, we see gods as male and female doing these things that males and females, females do. And it reflects the humanity of, well, humanity. It, 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 it shows something more about us than more of what God actually is. And their gods display the range of human emotion, lust, greed, jealousy, but that's not our God. Our God is not like that. We also need to understand that Scripture includes feminine language for God. Now, some people might say, well, that's not true. No, it is true. Scripture actually does include feminine language for God. Has anybody ever heard some of this? I'll read some to you. All right, here we go. Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to this. Listen to me, house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. What's that feminine imagery of? A mom. A mom. Listen. Job 38, 29. From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? Giving birth. Sorry, guys. Who does that? Mothers. In Hosea 11, 1 to 4, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. What you have described here in the book of Hosea is the traditional acts of the mother in the home. So we see scripture using this feminine language to talk about God. And then we even have language of the midwife. In Psalm 71, verse 6, By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Isaiah 66, 9, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord, or shall I give, or shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God. So there's this imagery in Scripture of God as midwife, as God as midwife, as midwives we know or who helps women give birth to their children. And so oftentimes when we talk about God and the identity of God and who God is and we call God Father, Many times because maybe we're uncomfortable with the language or we're uncomfortable with how God is depicted in Scripture, we sometimes tend to minimize legitimate analogies in Scripture that refer to God. Are we all together? That makes sense? So we have to understand that there is a lot of male imagery in the Bible to speak about God, but we also have to understand there is also feminine female imagery to talk about God in Scripture, yet with the understanding that God is neither male nor female, okay? Now, we need to keep these things in mind so we don't slide off into error on either side. One side is the error to use this language and to address God as mother. The other side of the error is to pretend that this language doesn't exist and ascribe male gender to God. We also have to note, though, 
even though we do have this beautiful language of the feminine aspects of God, right? There's, even Jesus says, you know, weeping over Jerusalem, you know, I, would, I wanted to gather you to me as a hen gathers her, her, her chicks under their wings. So like this, this imagery using animals, but also this feminine imagery of gathering children, wishing I could gather you together and protect you. So even Jesus uses this language. But we also have to understand that when we read scripture and in the history of the church, that God is not addressed as mother or midwife. There are no prayers in scripture to, oh God, our mother, oh God, our midwife. So why do we then call God father? Well, some people will say it's to reinforce male dominance. Some people will say to show that men are more like God than anybody else. That's not true. Sometimes, men, we like to think we are more, (laughs) maybe, right? But we're not. But we're really not. Because we have to remember, in the book of Genesis, it says, what does it say? It says, God created them, male and female, he created them. And then it says something pretty great. He says that God created them in his what? His own image and his own likeness. So that means men and women Male and female both display something of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. And then right at the beginning of Genesis, you have that imagery, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The man and the woman coming together reflects the divine image of God. So, now we have to say that people have used in the past, male language to oppress or to be dominant. But that's not what's going on here in Scripture. We call God Father because this is how Jesus has revealed God to us. And we call God Father because it is a confession of our relationship to God. Let's put it to you, let me put it to you like this. When, excuse me, when we become Christians... We are united with Christ, correct? It's not a trick question. Yes, we are. Galatians 3, 26, 27 says, For in Jesus Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have what? Have put on Christ. So we talk about Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And through Jesus we also become God's children through adoption. So when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, what does he say? Our Father. So what he's saying here is is he's, he's saying that we are called as his followers to share in that relationship, to share in the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That Jesus, we are united with him. We then share in that relationship that he shares We call, well, does that, does that make sense to everybody? Is that it's also a sign of the relationship that God is calling us into. We also call God Father because it's, people, I, I agree with this, theologians have said that we call God Father because it is God's name. One of the church fathers writing in the mid-300s, St. Gregory Nazianzus, he said, the proper name of the unoriginate is the Father, and of the only begotten is Son, and that of the unbegottenly preceding the Holy Spirit. This is from his oration 30. 
So he says God's proper name is Father. And there's a theologian named Ethan Humphrey. I like this. She said this, the God-man, Jesus Christ, has taken upon his lips our own feeble human words. Remember how earlier we said that language is difficult and using it to describe something because of the problems of language and the limits of language? Jesus takes that upon himself. He takes our own feeble human words and directs our speech, revealing to us that Abba, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are true names. We have here not simply a theological formula, but the family name revealed by Jesus and received by the apostles. Any relativizing of the name is a foundational departure from the faith and a break with the faithful family that has preceded us. So brothers and sisters, we call God Father with the understanding that God is not male or female, that both male and female are both created in his image, and as such, both male and female reflect something unique about God. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Listen, you guys know my background. I grew up, I grew up uh, Pentecostal, so I don't hear an amen every once in a while. I'm kind of wondering... Wondering how I'm doing or if uh, y'all are with me. All right. So we say then, how do then, okay, this is great. God is Father. Here's the reasons why we call God the, God the Father, why we don't call God Mother in prayer, but we do receive and understand that there is this feminine imagery in the Bible for God. Well, what does that have to do with us? Well, part of it is, well, there's a couple of different responses to this. I think that the first one is, is God is father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, 5 to 6 says, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So when we look at that psalm, father of the fatherless, protector of widows. So in the ancient world... If you, uh, men and women married, the men did the work, the women stayed in the home and raised the children. If the husband died, how would the wife support herself? Well, it's not like she can go out and get a job. The psalmist is saying here that for those who have no husbands and those children who have no fathers, God is their father. That God is their father. And so many people today in our own culture come from broken homes. Fathers have hurt their children. Some fathers have abused their children. Some have had terrible fathers. Some people carry deep wounds because of the actions of their fathers. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, when we have been wounded by our own father, when we hear of God as the father, that it hits something in us. And we just doesn't sit right with us because our own fathers were some of them loved us and tried as hard as they could some of them were terrible some of them were terrible and so that creates in us sometimes this wound and it's hard for us to wrap our language sometimes around this idea of God as father because many people have had bad fathers but God as our father he is the one who will never harm us who will never abandon us and who shows us the love that we all cry out for. God loves us as a father should love us. Romans 8.32, St. Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us 
all things. That God loved us so much, he did not spare his own son, but gave him for us. And because he did that, he will graciously give us all things. I think St. Peter says that pertain to life and godliness. And even Jesus says it in the Gospels. He says, if your child asks for food, are you going to give him, ask for bread, are you going to give him a stone? And if he asks for something else, are you going to give him a scorpion? Well, no. No. God will graciously give us all things because of his love. He loves us as a father is supposed to love us. And that relationship that's modeled between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that then, that fatherly relationship is then modeled among us as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ. Probably one of my favorite theologians of, and preachers of the early church, St. John Chrysostom, he wrote this, and this is what we'll conclude today. God loves us more than a father, mother, friend, or anyone else could love, and even more than we are able to love ourselves. I'll read it one more time because I liked it a lot. God loves us more than a father, mother, friends, or anyone else could love, and even more than we are able to love ourselves. And for many of us, love that we're seeking, that we're not finding, sometimes comes from the fact that we have those wounds from our own fathers. I was fortunate enough, I was fortunate enough to have a good father, and I still, he's still alive. I, I was fortunate enough to have a good father. But many of us don't. Many people who don't. And so this idea of God as a loving father can be difficult. But just because of that, that doesn't mean then that we give up the language of scripture and revelation. But what that should make us do, that what that should make us be is aware of that, but then also open to show the love of the Father to those who have been wounded by that. To be aware, to say that in spite of how you've been injured, there is one who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us 